0: Well this week's quandary, uh for for you in this instance, uh fellow dads, which implies at least one child. And Brandon and I have talked to you about this a little bit, but I, I wanna I wanna just I don't know if I want advice so much as just sort of like uh just like a little a little uh I don't know, conversation. You want
1: confirmation. Conf- Conf- confirmation. confirmation bias. I always right. want I always, always confirmation want confirmation bias.
0: I always want confirmation. I, I, I thrive on it. I need it. So what you should do is go into iTunes. And leave a review <laughs> of this show. Wow, <laughs> wow. Or, or better, Just, All you know
1: and, and and that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, no, but so so, my wife and I. Uh, well, here's what here's the situation. It doesn't involve a uh, week vacation or anything, but uh, like so, my son has discovered Minecraft. He's seven years old, and I have to admit, yep. I I have played, I have spent. Probably too many, which is to say, more than zero nights staying up till 2 a.m. playing myself because it's fun, right? Little little resource management scavenger hunting. Now, of course, mm. when I go to sleep at 2:30 a.m. in the morning, I'm like, I just did nothing. So maybe that's what being an adult is. But uh, it is enjoy. Like last night, I was playing it, and I finally got some gold. I had gotten some gold previously, but there was a bunch of lava, and I kept falling into the lava. And then that burns up all your gold. Very frustrating. Anyhow, so this is this is the question. It's like what what is the wise, slightly charitable policy that you establish with your kids about iPad screen time? I mean, screen time is one thing, right? Like that's all inclusive of TVs and stuff. But like, I I don't. I mean, I feel like he should play it a lot less. But I don't really know. Yeah. I don't. I don't. And and then and then let me let me add in one thing. Like I'm not. I, you know, I'm enough of a smart person, which is to say, I'm not enough of a dummy to realize uh, that that I can't just sort of we can't just like mandate something. We have to figure out some way of making him intrinsically motivated to do the right thing. Otherwise, you know, he's he's going to get uh, strung out on opioids or something uh, in reaction to this, and it yeah. will be a failure. <laughs> it,
1: it is it is pretty <laughs> addictive. Like so, so I've got you know I've got three kids, and our our role has has been um they get an hour of screen time on weekends whoa like like each day so friday saturday sunday
0: that's drastic Um, okay and then during
1: well yeah 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 uh and then during the week um no ipads and because like yeah ipads don't have any sort of parental controls built into them Mm. and so they just like you know they're like sneaking ipads into their rooms and you know it's like oh come on you know and and, of course, I'm being super hypocritical because I did the same thing. But, you know, uh, um, that's that's a parent's prerogative. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, um, and then we, we have... Uh, we've got, like, computers. Um, you know, we've got some Macs that uh, the kids can use for school and work and stuff. And those have, like... You know, they're locked down with parental controls and time limits. And then, so then, the, ostensibly, they're using them for homework. The problem I have is my my oldest son their school gave them laptops and yeah. you know he's always like oh yeah i'm working and and you know and i just i, I um i pull up like uh i use um uh, open dns and you can see like history yeah <laughs> of, of of urls and it's like youtube 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 and i'm like all right so we'll block youtube um and then he's like i can't do my homework i'm like was it YouTube?
0: He's like, it was YouTube. (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure he's accessing all those Khan Academy videos about differential equations and uh, geology. I mean, this is, this is, you highlighted how this happened. This vampire was invited into our house because uh, they, you can hear him pounding on the door now. Trying to uh, change the editorial process about iPad use, um, <laughs> but he because uh, they use iPads at school, and I assume it's legit use. So uh, and now I, I have to say this was this was I would like to say a cool dad move. I gave him my top of the line iPad Mini. I don't think he realizes how awesome it is that it's got the LTE built into it and 128 gigs. But that's fine. One day wow. he'll appreciate that.
1: <laughs> you, you, you know, I, I could tell you, in the original iPad. He's going to hate you
0: oh yeah (laughs) yeah how about yourself brandon what's your what's your what's your thought
2: control on this i was actually you know hearing matt ray's uh policies because he's he's a little ahead he has older children so my son is six and we have so far we have not instituted the like Mandated rules, like so. I'm sort of trying to keep us away from that kind of the forbidden fruit kind of thing. Like, like you know, if if you start saying only an hour a day, then there's a lot of negotiations for more and less time. So, but what I found, like actual sort of just the way our daily house <laughs> routine works, is that he's essentially at school and then aftercare, you know, between whatever business hours, right? So there, they don't his class. You do not have – he's only in kindergarten, so they don't have a lot of – I mean, they have some technology, but it's very limited at school at this point. So there's not much going on there. So we allow – I mean, we definitely allow in the morning, partially just because, like, he gets up early. So we mm. you know, sort of, like – we don't let him come downstairs to like, a certain time. But when he's downstairs, he can be on the iPad. So kind of, like, there's some preschool time um, that gets it. And then kind of as a general rule, like, as my wife's making dinner – or then kind of after dinner, before bath time. You know, we kind of, as a family, I don't know if it's good or bad, but, like, we all, like, we kind of have the TV on, but, like, a lot of us end up on, you know, my wife and I are also on the devices. So, like, everyone sort of can, like, has, like, an hour of just, like, whatever, goof-off time. For him, it's mostly YouTube kids. Like, we did my wife now. My wife is generally not that interested in, like, getting involved in the the apps and stuff, but, like, she just could not handle him on YouTube. There's just too much. Um, so she actually got on there, to her credit, deleted the YouTube app and found the YouTube YouTube Kids app, which she feels good about. Um, and, you know, he does watch a lot of, like, just weird stuff. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm okay with it. Like, I think it's kind of his – because I don't know. I mean, he's doing stuff that I'm sort of like – because I'm kind of watching stuff around sports or, like, goofing off on Twitter. And he's sort of watching these weird YouTube videos. And I'm like, yeah, it seems Okay. Um, but he's quickly getting smarter, so I don't know. Like we may have to fall back to the um, the mandated use time. Or yeah, but we do have a little bit easier. I mean, you, Mary, you got three, so it's two on three in your house. It's pretty hard. Like we can, as long as we can kind of keep or like if he's make him you know downstairs and be in like the big room with us. It's like we do. Well, I don't watch everything he's watching. I hear it, right? So I kind of have a, a better eye on it. But like that will probably. I'd say one more year, he'll be smart enough to be like, I'm taking the iPad upstairs or hiding it, and then I'll have to get more involved.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of YouTube and it's a lot of Minecraft videos. Like,
2: and I don't know
1: if... I, I don't, don't get me started. But, you know, I, I don't know if, like, if I put the YouTube kids video on there, would it filter those out or not? Because if, if so, like, I'm going to go lock that down too now. But but that's the the other thing is my kids all have kindles and we have kindle unlimited and the 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 local australian library does ebooks and we still have our austin library which also does ebooks so they're constantly on their kindles and so that's kind of you know i mean to me that's a lot more acceptable
0: yeah, um, yeah. look at you but,
2: you got the kids yeah. reading that's great oh uh, yeah 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 uh, well, I don't, but I do, like, have a little bit of um, – I've read enough, like, I I try to fight this instinct of, like, watching YouTube is bad, right? Like, it just – I don't know. I just think there's so much, like, overreaction to, like, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, I mean, new technology – you know, it's, like, new technology X is invented. 20, six months later, parent group X – and pediatrician group X is saying that new technology X is causing problems. And it's like, hmm. I don't know. I mean, yeah. literally, I just wonder, like, when the books were invented, where people are like, why are these kids reading so much? Like, I just really wish they would run around outside. And it's <laughs> like, yes. you know, I mean, I definitely think, like, yeah, I think like 10, 15 hour binges of something is too much. But when I actually watch my son, like, and I feel like okay with this. This is why I guess I'm okay. Is like, he'll go between like real toys, YouTube, Outside with some neighbor friends, riding the bike. Like he just doesn't. I mean, I guess I'll just say this with me. And I mean, this is the most loving parental way. Like his attention span is just not that long. Like every fifteen minutes, he's like doing something different. So, and they kind of ro- rotate around. So I, that's why I'm like, I'm okay with it. Also, you know, some of the games that he plays, like I, I mean, he he is he has. I I think for sure it has helped him. You know, become. Uh, whatever, smarter, more intuitive around how stuff works. Like, so you can get on it and yeah, really yeah. go go to town and um, better than many adults. So, like, I think part of that is okay. Like, he's very also. He knows a lot about you know not not surprisingly my son. He understands about passwords. He knows you don't share passwords. He like you know he you know he has like already some built-in knowledge of security. Which I'm like, geez, if only. Um, you know, he was like, "Yeah, you would never share your password. That's crazy, right?" And like, yeah. no, it's like, <laughs> "Yeah," but it's like it it only like the rest of the world. Is like- yeah, the password yeah no, I went saying. over with the whole thing. I was <laughs> like, you need numbers and, like, you know. Oh, no. Your We're, passwords, and I was like, right, yeah. Like,
1: you, you got to have an uppercase and lowercase. It's got to be 13 characters. Yeah, and no, I, want...
2: <laughs> I showed him because, like, he comes open, and he wants apps, right? So, like, I get on there, and then he actually sees me open one password, and he's like, so I've explained to him, like, we have different passwords for different things. So, so like, you know, again, like, I do think there's some, um, whatever you want to call it, cyber education and, like, some <laughs> benefits going on. Now, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's some pediatrician will email us because we have a lot of – we have a huge audience in the pediatrician community listening to this <laughs> that was going to email me and tell me that <laughs> – it's going to be uh, forever stunted because I I let him use it but um I don't I've tried not to come down like again on that side of it so quick but well, we'll you know, I, I mean I,
0: just just two things before we move on to the uh the uh the infrastructure <laughs> software I mean I mean you you were kind of asking I think I think all the way back now I'm always curious if Socrates was a complete fiction inv- invented by Plato and, and was Plato real who knows but Socrates was very adamant that writing was terrible and was going to ruin everything <laughs> So, uh all the way back to old Socrates, uh technology that's new has always been uh terrible for people. And I uh, know that. That's yeah, good to know. I mean, there's there's that's a good. long uh if if you ever read that book or tried to read that book of the information, I think it starts off with like the man, that book is fucking comprehensive. It probably starts off with cave paintings and shit like that, but very early uh, on yeah. it's like so- it start- Socrates hated writing. And you're like, Oh, well, oh, really, interesting. <laughs> What an asshole that guy was, uh, but uh, also, you know, I think I think as our as our fearless leader has pointed out, the cyber is important and the kids can handle it. So uh, we just need to train up our kids about that. I'm glad I'm glad that the identity management product manager in you knew is coming out, uh, Brandon, and you're making sure the kindergartners uh, understand good password management. And I hope. As he advances in our, his education, some of the first questions you'll be asking in parent teacher conversations is, you know, do they have rotating passwords? Do you integrate with
2: Active Directory? There's a very directory. important thing. Exactly, exactly, right. uh, exactly right. Yes, I don't know. I, I I do understand there's a short window where your children will listen to you. So I've chosen, you know, I've gone with some uh, cybersecurity. Everyone else make your own choice. That's right. Oh man. Well, I don't
0: really know if there's any cyber cybersecurity stuff uh, last week, but there was the uh, what do they call it? The Google Next conference. Now, yeah. we talked about this briefly on one of our uh, Pivotal Conversations uh, recordings earlier today. You, if you want to listen to that, you go to SoundCloud.com/slash Pivotal Conversations. It's not terrible, uh, and uh, you know my my host on there, Richard. He wrote a nice uh, piece over on InfoQ summarizing everything that was going on. But but I think I think first just to set a little bit of context now. Uh, I was until today when I was talking to her, I was wondering like whatever happened to Google IO, which is probably still a thing, but I was thinking like now that it's alphabet or whatever, I'm assuming that this is the conference from the Google enterprise division. So hence having the Google cloud stuff in there and you got your, uh, you got your, your, what do they call it now? G suite, uh, some sort of like masterpiece involved in that, I guess. And then, and then you got, uh, you got, um, your hangouts, And, uh, G talk says that that over there, your, your Slack competition. So, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, interesting announcements over there. I mean, just to be a little slightly self-serving pivotal was announced as the, the Google partner of the year. They, they gave us a baseball bat. So that's the thing. (laughs) Um, and and uh yeah. yeah i mean we do a we do a lot of work with with uh, google and many of our customers uh especially in the retail space i will leave it as an exercise to the reader to wonder why uh are very interested in running on the google cloud uh versus amazon sure. so uh, yeah, yeah what what was what was y'all's impressions of of all the stuff coming out of the event there's a bunch of things so let's just uh let's just grab onto some stuff
1: i mean it's uh you know it, it, it's a lot of what you would expect you know kind of table stakes sorts of announcements you know bigger bigger instances fast um cheaper everything you know the the cloud data prep they're finally uh you know i actually i had a conversation with a i think it was last year at next with a uh product manager at google and he was like oh yeah we'll we'll let amazon do the uh the database migration stuff, and and then we'll just move them from Amazon over to our cloud. Whoa! And so obviously, uh, <laughs> obviously that 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 strategy has changed. Um, you know, they're they're working on helping customers move their data into to Google because apparently they missed the whole like data gravity memo, and uh, mm. you know they they realize that you know, once once stuff's in the cloud, it doesn't usually leave. And uh, uh, the the conference I'm at right now, this. Uh, cloud and data center edge conference there was a a guy talking about doing multi-cloud and while he was talking i was like he might be the actual only person i've ever heard of doing multi-cloud and (laughs) you know i mean it's always like the the dream that oh yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna be able to run our stuff on aws and google and azure and we'll watch the pricing and we'll juggle our workloads depending on pricing and you actually don't see a ton of that and and so I, I think Google's kind of recognizing, like, you know, we can't wait for people to make, you know, to to decide, like, they're ready to move to another cloud. You know, we have to go in and get them before, you know, Amazon and Microsoft take all the customers first.
0: Mm, the old uh, first um, mover advantage. I was, you know, I was thinking <laughs> about that the other day. Every now and then I uh, wake up at 2 a.m. and the, uh, the medication I take to help stabilize my brain, like, it's all worn off by that point. So I get fixated on things and I can't go back to sleep. And among many other things and worries in my life, I was thinking like, I don't know if first-mover advantage is bullshit or not. Like, I feel like when I was uh, growing up professionally, and and I feel like this is probably like a Seth Godin type of thing, you know, sort of like 200 words that sounds really helpful, and then five minutes later, you're like, oh, I just read nothing. Uh, actually, I, I I love that guy. His his books are good, but his blog posts can be a little cutesy. Anyways, uh, like I, I feel like it was maybe him who was saying like first mover advantage is bullshit. Like don't worry about that. But then in, of late, uh, I think it kind of matters a lot. I mean, granted, you yeah. have the case of Apple definitely not being a first mover against uh, you know Blackberries and and uh, Nokia, but but there is something there is something to doing being a first mover. I I don't know.
2: I don't know. But let's take. Let me uh, let me just challenge you there, Louis Cote, and just say. Let's say Google, Apple, Facebook, and maybe Amazon. Like, mm. like none of those. Like, they're probably the four big. I don't know if they're the biggest, but for one of the four most popular tech companies, right? We definitely say Facebook wasn't the first social network. Google certainly not the first search engine. Apple certainly not the first one to build a phone. Yeah, um, no, no, that's, fair. Amazon, that's fair. Amazon. I mean, I don't know. I mean. I guess there were retailers before. I don't know. It seems... <laughs> Amazon's hard to like uncode in that, but I mean, there's just an example of like really successful companies that clearly were second or third or whatever, and t- tier movers that are have gone on to big success. Yeah, uh.
1: yeah, but I, I think this is different. I mean, I, waiting for customers to mature so they're ready to move to your you know superior platform is not the same thing. Yeah. You know, they're they're actually saying. You know we've built the best cloud. everyone will come to our cloud because it's clearly the best while you know amazon and and Microsoft are saying, you know, hey, you wanted to try the lift and shift, we will lift and shift with you. you know we will take all your bad junk from your data center. we'll move it into the cloud. what you you want dedicated instances, we'll do that. and Google's you know approach has always been very like pure, you know, very much you know this is right. a pure cloud play. we're we're yeah. this way. and so I don't think it's even, I think it's not a first mover kind of conversation. I think it's just when people are doing their first cloud, you know, um, they're, you have to grab them while you can in the state that they're in because we're in a land rush and it, it's it's not about, and, and sure, some of them are going to move from Amazon to Azure or from Azure to Google, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are going to stay where they end up and, and you know, that's that's you know that's a bet you don't want to make Mm -hmm. is that you know oh i'm counting on people to to see the light you know you've got to take the money when it's on the table
0: yeah i mean i I guess i guess like a lot of these strategy things as we're fond of chronicling it's just like they're all fantastic except for those times where they're totally fucked
2: (laughs) (laughs) well let's go a little let's do a little ben thompson on this right like so i was looking at the google platform cloud platform um Web page, and the one thing that you notice when you go to like Amazon, Google, Azure, you know IBM, um, everyone has really standardized on the thing, on like because it's like compute, storage, and databases, networking. Like you, like it's interesting to see like everyone has a set, like the feature set is sort of being solidified, right? But this is where the cons um comment comes in, I think he would say the first wave of this is doing the old thing, but just on the cloud, right? That's sort of infrastructure as a service, right? It was like, yeah. hey, we'll just take your servers and, you know, he says this about advertising all the time. It's like the first wave of, of advertising on the internet was just taking print and putting it on there, but over time, people realized print advertising on the internet and display ads aren't that good. Actually, it's these contextual based search ads, right? And I think that's like we're right in the middle of this, that Everyone is sort of still kind of just putting what's what would be a cold old enterprise technology and moving it to the cloud. Mm. And we're seeing these other things like containers, serverless, various other you know um, platform as a service or things like that being attempted, but nothing has sort of broken out yet as like the way to do it. Right. And in five years from now, so this is back to like your long way back to your first advantage, like... Maybe one of these companies, or maybe it's somebody like in the garage, their metaphorical garage right now, is going to actually be like, "Oh, this is the way you build the cloud native app," and it's a lot better and simpler. And you know, it's it's still to be defined. And then we'll look back and say, "Yeah, these guys got, all got caught up in the legacy, right?" And they didn't, they missed this other thing. But yeah, hard but, to know what that is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but the legacy is is you know. Uh, it's what, 10 billion a quarter now for Amazon. And, you know, anytime there's a new feature out there, they're usually a fast follower. And, you know, just like, you know, somebody comes up with like a new container service or something, and then, you know, all the, all the cloud vendors, they pick it up pretty fast. So the, the difference is, th- I just think it's, it's really hard for someone to get in and differentiate for any sort of time. Right. This is where,
2: like, now we would have Clayton Christensen enter the conversation and be like, yeah, like, this is whole innovator's dilemma thing, right? It's like, well, it's probably something we just can't see, right? It's, like, impossible to see. Like, for example, like, the the thing I always throw out is, like, this, you know, hypothetical computer that doesn't exist, this, like, breakthrough in optical computing where, like, somebody is just playing around with it in a lab, right? It's just dismissed as, like, way too expensive or a toy or whatever that could potentially, you know, have some capacity of a data data center or something else you know it's like something that's very hard for us to like make the leap right that could come in and then you know just like oh well you know what you don't even have to do all this stuff anymore because there's this new way and it sort of pop, you know it's on us before we know it right and that's what i think is so like i don't have it you know like obviously if i knew what the answer was i would go build it right and try to sell it but i always look at this stuff and say like i feel like we're in the middle right we're in this cloud transition that's really in the middle and we're like in the dark, you know, uh, foggy area, it's just hard to see what happens next.
0: Well, so that, that was, I mean, maybe to, to round out this thing, that was, that was a, uh, I wanted your, your guys' take on this and we've kind of talked on it, but you know, in looking at Google clouds approach and, and, uh, uh, everyone's favorite cloud opinion kind of, uh, made this point in, in his, uh, his day one keynote notes. It's always fun as, as an observer to do, uh, daily wrap-ups of stuff. But anyways, hot, hot takes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hot takes before the drinks or maybe after. But uh like, you know, my impression of Google is they're trying really hard to compete on features and particularly our favorite, machine learning. And and you know, <laughs> sort of like handling data and and sort of trading on this idea that like not only that we're Google so we're smugly cool, but we're Google so so we have Uh, We know how to run large distributed systems and we have tools for, for doing it and ways of going about it. Um, And not only that, but like services that they might have. And so it seems like, and, and this is why I'm bringing this up is I haven't investigated this enough to really know if it's the case, but it seems like a bid to compete basically on unique features that they have or the best performant features. So, Uh, Back when I was in the uh, so-called cloud wars of the first cloud wars, like that was an idea is that we're going to we're going to be successful by being enterprise grade and uh, um, unfortunate strategists like myself were left to figure out what enterprise grade meant with no input and uh, just sort of crying over, you know, dog eared copies of Lean Startup. Um, And and so (laughs) like the alternative, which I think is a little kind of we were just talking about, is basically like eh, you're just basically competing on price and brand. It's kind of the equivalent of like a consumer goods thing where it's like, really, if you go to the grocery store, you go to your local H-E-B, you can buy a bottle of Head & Shoulders that's $3 cheaper. It's even got the same colors and bottle shape, and it's pretty much the same thing. But you buy the other one because you're like, "Uh, H-E-B stuff seems a little skizzy here. And uh, so you're just kind of competing on price and brand, basically. But I don't know. I mean, what's what's your sense if, if between, like, I guess Google, Amazon, and Azure? Like, is there really room? Are they trying to compete on features, and does that work, or is it just all pricing and then therefore brand? Not therefore, but it, that's, I, that's one way of goosing it.
1: I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's a
0: combination of,
1: you know, developer outreach, which... You know, it, it might not. They might have the same features, but how you engage with the people who consume it um, is is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right. Right. And they all kind of know. You know, they all kind of know that developers are the ones who are deciding. You know, where the workloads at least start. Uh-huh. Um, and then you know the the features a lot of these are still far out. You know, I mean, machine learning, it's cool, and you know they're going to trump out like you know. Trot, trot out uh, you know two or three customers who figured out a way to actually apply it to their enterprise workloads yeah but it's still more aspiration I, you know I, I got to think it's still more aspirational than, than actual you know usage beyond you know your snapchats your facebook's your you know sure. the, the sorts of people like oh yeah we get what you're doing with machine learning um but you know what we're doing over here is you know processing payroll
0: well then you, and... you, bring, you bring up a uh, an interesting point which is uh to, to to pull some more knowledge from like you know peepaw's technology library of strategy back when books used to be three-dimensional <laughs> like uh the, you know part of the jeffrey moore idea of crossing the chasm was you uh I'm sure I'm sure you remember this brand and correct me where I get it wrong, but you have something called the complete solution, which is like not only a product or a technology, but once someone buys that product or the technology, you not only have a unique service you provide to them, which is to say consulting, usually, that allows them to not only get the thing up and running and operate it, but gives them a sense that they're being successful or not with it. Hence, hence the Launching of a thousand fleets of maturity and capability models and things, things like that. I once sat next to a guy on an airplane at SAP, and as he explained it to me, his only job was helping customers prove to themselves that it was a good idea to have bought SAP by doing uh, maturity stuff, which, sure, right? Like, I mean, Weight Watchers is popular, and that's kind of what you're doing there, right? Along with actual uh, stuff. I hear Oprah invested in that, so it must be a big thing. Anyways, that, and and so that seems like that is something I've been noticing. It's part of what how Pivotal likes to differentiate itself is that the actual complete solution, the service that you'll get, the way the process and the mindset of doing things might be a way of differentiating. So there's like I don't know, Google has their CRE program or whatever, where it's it's somewhere between like some triangle of staff augmentation, Rackspace style managed services, and something uniquely Googly. Uh, but it's sort of like, we will actually help you uh, run like Google in so much as that's a, a reality.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to, but I think, you know, if you just look at adoption right now, I mean, you kind of hit on a lot of that code. Dave, was like the two and Matt Ray as well just around like you have like right now two things that are trying to be one, winning the hearts and minds of the developer and then winning the business, right? And I think each one of these companies has like a, you know, a slightly different strength and weaknesses in those, in those markets, right? And I th- you know, like if you, if there's anything like a really broad generalization around Google Cloud, when I talk to like the developers, right, people always say clean, right? They say it's real clean, the APIs are real clean, right? And mm. I think and we talked about this on a previous one. Whereas, I think Amazon has largely the market share, and there's sort of like a developer community that is built up around it and is popular just because it's just been the thing that people have been using. But you look at where Amazon's really been investing, and you look at where the people are hired, right? They're really investing in a pretty broad direct sales force right getting out and like developing those relationships with um, you know large enterprises and customers getting to move over and then microsoft probably somewhat in between right like strong traditional developer outreach right so they have that strength and then they also have a strength with you know large customers but you know and, and they're kind of like in the middle and then there's you know, a bunch of other cloud vendors as well but so i think that's really what's like playing out here um in You know, it'll, I don't, you know, it's hard to see any one group, like, really displacing the other in this, like, middle, if you will, like, sort of this trench warfare that's going on. I think it's the, it's, like, the next thing, right, is what, like, so this is why this container area is so important, right? Like, container orchestration, like, winning that or, like, whatever that becomes, right, could potentially be... You know, the way to separate yourself, right? Like, so that's like an opportunity Google seems to have, but they haven't, you know, they could take a real strong position. Like we're not doing compute. We're not doing this stuff. Like the only way is this way, you know, is leveraging yeah, kind but- of expertise in Kubernetes and like making like a longer term bet, right. That like we're going to force people onto this new paradigm again, may not work, but like that's a, that is an avenue they have available to them. I think that more so than say Amazon, um, but again, know time will tell.
1: But that—that that is the strategy. I mean, with with Google, they—they they said, you know, we're we're open sourcing this Kubernetes stuff because we want people to work like us, and, and we want you know developers to adopt this. We want the industry to adopt this, and our thinking is that you know we we will run Kubernetes better than anybody else, and you know, good luck with that. Uh, because it's <clears throat> it 's probably not going to be the only people the only way people consume stuff, and so you know you still have to worry about all the other pieces, um, which is why a lot of the early you know a lot of the early e c two competitors you know google 's first offering was a pass you know app engine and microsoft 's first offering was a pass and like that didn 't work and, and so they you know they immediately not not immediately enough but they, they you know they had to Play catch up, and and here, like here in Sydney, or here in Australia, the uh, you know Amazon had this market for four years to themselves, and and so now you know Microsoft moved in last year, or yeah, last year, the year before, and you know Google's moving in soon, and Alibaba's coming to town, but it's like, you know, the 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 field has already been set. You know, you guys are coming in, and you have to play offense against you know an eight hundred pound gorilla who's you know already kind of locked up a lot of the market. You
2: know, so I mean a couple thoughts there, right? Like one is it's just it it really comes back to like, you know, the the belief in your convictions here. Like take the Google let's take a different part of Google's business, Alphabet's business, and you know, show convictions, right or wrong, right? Like they have their car, right? Their like more advanced prototype does not have a steering wheel. Right. So it's like no the way future is people do not touch these cars because people are inherently, you know, inefficient and cause accidents, right? And that, that honestly, like, it may be too radical, right? But, like, you see where, you know what I'm saying? It's a hard, uh, it's a stark differentiation from, like, Tesla, right? Where it's like, hey, this more incremental approach, like, over time, everyone needs a car. But, like, there is a the point where, like, hey, maybe, you know, they're going to the end and that's ultimately the place that they can win, right? And I think... You know, in the case of the, on the Google Cloud side, taking that same thing is like they could get out of all this, like all the other stuff, the compute and everything else and be like, guys, this is the way forward, right? It's just this way. We don't. The reason we don't have a 50 million ways to do it is because you're just going to confuse yourself, right? Like do it this way. It's going to scale. This is the future. And it's going to be much simpler. Now, again, like a much bigger bet. A much and again, like you're always going to have the people in the room. And I I totally agree with you what you're saying. That are going to be like, no, no, incremental. We need an incremental approach. We need an incremental approach. But sometimes that works. But then also too, that's the thing that gets you blindsided as well. Like something just shows up, right? Like, I mean, just use a different example, like Nokia and Apple, right? And it's like, yeah, like listen, these guys don't get phones, right? they, they we're going to slowly get there. And then you know something like the iPhone shows up, and you're just like, it's over, right? It's like, whoa. They just completely I mean that company's dead. So um it I just think it comes to like what's your strategy, how big are you trying to win, and what are like really what are the convictions in your in your overall beliefs in your strategy?
0: Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Well, speaking of convictions, why don't we edge in the mid roll before we wrap up with a few more <laughs> items? So uh what do you got for us this week, Matt Ray?
1: Oh man. Um so Two weeks, I'm gonna be in Melbourne. I'm just giving a talk at uh, DevOps Melbourne Meetup. Gonna be talking about the open source uh, Inspect project, to talk uh, compliances code. Um, so you know, come out to Melbourne, say hi. Uh, I'm also going to be going to DevOps Days Tokyo um, in April, and I think the call for papers I think might still be open. Um, so you know, uh, show up for that, and then. Uh, we're going to be having a chef uh chef day in singapore and uh going to be talking about chef and windows and uh and habitat and uh you know containers so it's going to be fun um that's my mid-roll oh yeah and chef uh the early early registration is still on through the end of the month so get on it while it's while it's still cheap ish Yeah.
0: yeah yeah you know uh I don't, I don't know if we're going to any of those DevOps days, but they really, like, uh, they found out you're over there in that part of the world. They're like, send Matt Ray to all the things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I submitted papers all over Asia, so we'll, we'll see what I get into. It's going to be good.
0: Well, uh, so next week, on March 21st, I'll be up in uh, DFW. I think it's, uh, I don't forget where it is. The whole, like, as an Austinite DFW is just one big thing. But uh, I'm going to be speaking at, uh, I think it's a Cloud Foundry meetup. And just giving Brandon seen this talk, hopefully, I'll give it a lot better than when uh, when he saw me give it. But I'm gonna be giving a talk just going over a cloud native and digital transformation in the streets, as I like to call it, just uh, going over use cases of how people have been doing that. So that's a meetup you can find at the Dallas Cloud Foundry uh, Meetup group next week. It's free, so you get one hundred percent off if you use the code, show up. Uh, And and then uh, also, we have the Cloud Foundry Summit. I mentioned this last week, June 13th and 15th. It's a great place to come to see all the little, like, uh, technical doohickeys and doodads in the lower level of stack. But the part I like more is having actual, like... uh, I don't know, regular old businesses come by and talk about how they've been successful and not about switching over to all these uh, newfangled ways of doing things. Cloud native, as we would say. And now I do have a registration code. If you want to register for it, you can get 20% off if you use the code CFSV17COTE. That's that's my name, C-O-T-E. And uh, I guess it's Cloud Foundry uh, Silicon Valley, so that's why it's CFSV. So uh, we'll put all that in the show notes. But, you know, you should at least go to some of those things. That would be great. So, speaking of uh, of pivotal, to be a little crassly commercial, we also had. I just wanted to cover. We had an announcement last year about uh, our momentum, as they say. So we, uh, you know, you always have to be careful talking about money at a company you work at. But according to the press release that I read that we put out, we had uh, what was it, two hundred and seventy million in bookings over the course of last year. And and I'll put this in the show notes. But there's uh, we've had two other announcements of of revenue that we had. we uh, 100 million in bookings run rate in 2015. And that was like in, uh, we announced that in Q3 of 2015. And then back in 2014, and this is all for Pivotal Cloud Foundry, not the company as a whole. But back in uh, 2014, we said that, uh, I think, I forget when Pivotal Cloud Foundry was launched in 2014, but it wasn't the full calendar year. And in that time, we had about uh, 40 million, as the quote says, in software sales. I I don't know if that was uh, bookings or revenue or whatever, but yeah, it's nice. It's fun working at a company that actually has like paying customers and uh that's high. <laughs> it's uh it's good stuff. But yeah, you should go uh you should go check those things out and and I think um in addition to razzle dazzle numbers, there's another a link to a post that I'll put in that like covers some interesting operational stuff, but you know, I'm always obsessed with what uh regular old companies are doing and there's there's some little links to use cases of of what our customers are up to there. But it's uh it's it's your annual check-in on how old Pivotal's doing. Old pivotal, yeah, there you go. Old <laughs> pivotal. pivotal, but uh, Old so pivotal. so. Speaking of companies that are trying to uh, achieve escape velocity from being private, now I haven't read a lot about this, but I'm hoping at least Brandon knows. It looks like it looks like everyone's favorite not ping company, Okta, is uh, is going to file for an IPO or has or something. Have Have you guys checked out the
2: uh, the details of this? No. Uh,
0: right. I need to hear about this.
2: I have. They 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 are. It looks like they're doing about a hundred million. They're end of their uh physical year wasn't until the end of january so they haven't they, the financials a little odd it's like sort of like the first nine months um mm. but they've lost they're losing um i think it was 87 million last year so they're uh a very unprofitable uh company at this point is i guess the the net net of the s1 um in this is definitely an area i know a little bit about and i think I don't know, Matt Ray, do you use it? I think I know you use yeah. it. Uh do you guys actually use it? So I guess for those that don't know, it's often referred to as a single sign-on company for your for your corporation. That's usually how most people have experienced it. So what's odd to me about this is they're losing a lot of money, right? They while they have, you know, some solid top line revenue, I don't understand like the growth thesis. Even like, you know, we talked about Snapchat the other week. Um, there's an argument to be made that Snapchat's like reinventing like TV or some new medium, and you can at least make the case that you understand why it's going to have like facebook like growth and and why investors would want to get in on that right There's you know, and of course, it may flame out too, but there's a I can understand the big opportunity now, the world of identity and access management though, um, and I think they are playing a very traditional you know building a very traditional set of features into it is pretty well known like i don't know what the case and gosh if there's anyone on this podcast that wants the denny and access management to be a 400 billion dollar market it would be me uh but (laughs) i you know i as much as i want that to be the case i see no no reason why this company would go public with such a such massive losses um you know and why investors would expect it to grow at some like you know monster growth rate like if you look in this space uh, you know ping uh, which we mentioned before is you know gone private equity sale points another one has gone private equity um, and several other smaller identity and access management providers have gone private equity which seems to be the right route right you're not going to get that you're not going to be big enough to be on your own so uh, be, become part of a uh, uh, a well run private equity firm and and make your money that way. No, so no, I don't know it, I don't see
0: it I I don't get it. If I if I had done my usual amount of exhaustive prep work maybe you've referenced this but do you have a sense of like what the TAM for identity management for and it, and it's I assume they do all the audit and all that stuff as well but like I mean what uh is it, is it like multiples
2: of billions or like what what, what do you think it is Brandon? <laughs> yeah I mean you know we would go to our you know, our favorite sources like Gardner, IDC and others, right? And, and it certainly could, you know, it's in the billions and stuff, but it, it's it's not, you know, like I said, I don't think anyone's forecasting, uh, you know, let's just say a $50 billion market, a $100 billion market, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see a lot of people out there with a conviction putting that in there. I, um, I, 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 w- I would load they, up my, it, my IDC black book but I'm
0: afraid the pivot tables would crash my MacBook air. Would crash your, I uh, think. So, uh, no so yeah, I mean, I me. just,
2: I don't know what the growth thesis here. I mean, another thing that really worries you, if you're, worries me, right. When you read it, like to their credit, Okta has attracted some of like the, I was about to say the best, but if not the best, the, the most popular venture capital firms, like, you know, Andries and Horowitz and uh, I think Lightspeed's involved. And I think, you know, several others like who are very, very well known. So, so hypothetically, if you had a company and you felt like the time was right, um, and you had the influence to push something public because you just you're a big name, like this would probably be the time, right? You know, like you want to unload one of these unicorns because you feel like things it's a good time, and you're the kind of company that can just will it to happen. Um, you know, that's another reason I would be really wary of it. Versus like a company that's just people are demanding go public like like maybe like an uber at this point where people are just like can't wait to get out there these guys have the you know those vcs alone right they have the will to push something out if they want i mean they they have more Morgan stanley and Goldman Sachs, and you know they can make it happen so that's another reason i'm very i would be really leery of this one
0: yeah i mean i I, I have the sense that maybe like uh and this is totally unfounded it's more just stuff i think about at two and three a.m in the morning but like uh like, like it seems like the nature of an infrastructure software IPO has been changing over the past few years, right? Like, like with someone like uh, like a New Relic or a Hortonworks or, you know, all these people that are basically like, uh, all these people, all these companies that are kind of like a one-trick pony, right? Like, my notion would be that if, if you're an infrastructure software company going public, you need to have, like, a pretty, at least three things in your portfolio that you kind of, like, covering various grounds and you have a certain amount of bulk because, like... I mean, I'd rather invest in the Snap IPO, right? Like, it's sort of like an opportunity thing of, like, there's probably better places, and I don't know if any of this is true, to, like, allocate your cash as an investor. So you want, like, some interesting stability, or I don't know, maybe not. Who who the fuck knows? But that's kind of the point is, like, I don't really know what the criteria for, like, an enterprise IPO is anymore. Um, and so... You know, thinking thinking that Okta is gonna an IPO and there are there were rumors of Cloudera and of and various other people, it'd be interesting to see like how that transforms the notion of what it is. I mean, first of all, there's always just the the like painfully goofy comparisons that they make to other companies. So that's always delightful. Uh, that people who cover it, but like, I, I don't know, like, like maybe the uh, maybe the one trick pony is the thing. And then, and then just to like dump another idea on the table, I was looking at their uh, the Crunchbase entry, founded in 2009, and they have, uh, they have old, uh, old uh, hip hops, you know, epigraph bin guy from A16Z, uh, the former Ops, Ops, uh, Opsware CEO. And you know, one, one thing I thought was interesting about his book, and his story of Opsware is like, basically, they IPO because they were running out of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is like a weird like at first it seems weird but then it also like i mean in general uh i mean there's you know we often get fixated on the fact that you ipo to have people cash out and make money right but there is the 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 more classical notion of like well you do it to raise money right so that so that you can get a new new chunk of change so that you can uh start doing something with it and you know i'm sure brandon knows a lot of this stuff better but if <laughs> yeah. i think about all the identity stuff i do like it is kind of notable i don't maybe it's not but it's interesting that like like no one seems to really own like uh there's all these password key manager things and like in my mind like because i have one password uh like having to use okta is a hassle like and and obviously like, I should put a link to the uh, the, the, uh, the the cute little list of how to make your, your SaaS offering enterprise uh, ready. It's actually a pretty good list. But, you know, obviously, centralized IT wants control of all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But, like, it seems like you could bundle together a bunch of features and actually have some uh, kind of a compelling big identity think- company.
1: I mean, they they yeah. have a a password manager too. Um,
0: yeah, yeah just, I, know, like, exactly. In one password, I mean. Turn yeah, I, off. it's it's sort of like unless you're uh, for some reason all the nerds at my company like you using LastPass. I don't know why, but unless you're like LastPass or one password, you just like
2: you should probably not even try in in that that area.
0: But, well, uh, LastPass is
2: uh, Android. It's like it's just like the factions, right? It's like uh, hey, if you're more an, if you're an Android person, you'll go LastPass. If you're an Apple person, you got one password. So, that explains but I lot. think I mean this is where I guess you, it's always interesting to break like opportunities into d- different distinctions, right? It's like Okta is just playing a straight up enterprise traditional identity management player, right? Like they may wrap it up themselves, with, you know, make themselves look cloudy, but like this is a product that like I've just seen a million times. So there's no real there's nothing here, right, that's that's, that's going to, like, break things open. Now, you know, the people and what you guys are getting at is, like, the opportunity, like, kind of the white whale of all of this is, like, hey, instead of us all having our own password managers and, like, piecing together all these cumbersome solutions, there will be some as yet undefined identity you know, uh, single sign-on service, right, that sits out on the Internet and, like, yeah, we just all use it. And it's and somehow it has figured out the the trust, the security um, in adoption, right? They unlock that together, right? This is something that's been, like, talked about in the world of identity security since, like, the beginning of time, right? And, in fact, a lot of people don't, you know, people may or may not know, right, LDAP, which is sort of the directory protocol that people use, actually came out of Netscape. Mm. right so this is sort of like even from the dawn of the internet people have been like yeah you know what like we need to get identity figured out um but it's and you know the other players here right that are, that are always lurking is like a facebook and a google right that you know they they want if you use any app today right who to want you to have those buttons on there and google and facebook but you know it hasn't – like, while they're available and a lot of people use them, it isn't, like, the only way to do it. People don't always want to use it, and there's lots of issues, right? Like, do you really want Facebook to own your identity more than it already does, right? So there's sort of some apprehension on the consumer side. So so there, that remains a huge opportunity, like the the – Centralized identity player, the blockchain, if you will, the guy, the decentralized thing that gets figured out is a huge opportunity, but it's definitely not Okta, right? Like they haven't, you know, they haven't figured it out any better than all these other companies. So, um, so, and again, to your, and then your other point, you know, the Ben Horowitz book, right? Uh, the hard things about hard things. Um, or something like that. It's close to that title. Uh, you know, he the thing that he kind of forgets to mention is, like, he and Mark Andreessen, right? Like, those two had the special power to take any company public. Like, like Brandon Witcher, Matt Ray, and Michael Cote did not have the ability to just take a company public, right? We just, like, we weren't like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do this. Like, like no one's answering our phone calls. So the fact that he could do it and the fact that you know, and to to bring this full circle, right? As we know, A sixteen Z is Ben Hurwitz and uh, Mark Andreessen, right? So, like the fact that this play is available to them, right? And the fact that they kind of made it work with Opsware, right? I mean, we can even debate how well that worked out for HP. Um, you know, doesn't mean that this is a good strategy. And I you know, and the fact that they can make it happen for Okta, like I don't think that bodes well for Okta's investors going forward.
0: Well, if I were to pick the most shiny gem out of what you're just saying, uh Brandon, I am just I'm just ecstatic that blockchain might be involved in identity <laughs> in the future. That's just that's just gonna blow the whole thing away oh,
2: Let me tell you, like there's uh, other than <laughs> I would say there's never been a technology that people want to be more relevant that isn't uh, than blockchain, I think, at least in the world of identity access management. like There have been millions of uh, conference sessions on it, and everyone's like, man, this is really cool. We have no idea how to make this actually useful in the world of identity. But I don't know. If you figure it out, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, in
0: Minecraft, I haven't figured out what this red ore stuff is, but I'm pretty sure that's the Minecraft equivalent of blockchain. It's just like some <laughs> mystic substance that you pursue and, and and you end up using and you're like, oh, this just makes a piece of grass go up and down. FML. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Mm. Right. Like, having wasted too much time with Minecraft, yes, that was my exact response. Like, oh, I can use it to make machines in this game. Like, I've already wasted too much time. I don't have time for that.
0: Yeah. <sighs> well, why don't we roll into the recommendations? What, uh, what, what do you want to give us this, this, uh, this episode, Brandon? What do you recommend?
2: I was going to recommend, uh, a podcast uh, actually coming to an end. It's called Missing Richard Simmons, uh, and I don't know why it's so interesting, but it is. So Richard Simmons, maybe everyone knows him, but if not, right? He's sort of a a weight loss guru who, at least I don't know, has been very popular in I don't know the not too distant past. But evidently, you know, he uh, he just essentially disappeared from the public in um 2014 just you know outright no one heard from him no one knows what happened and uh this podcast is uh, i guess one of his acquaintances and it's really well done it's sort of you know very um very well told a gimlet you know this american life kind of style um you know sets out on the quest to 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 figure out what happened why he left and um what he's been doing so it's uh It's, I guess, six episodes. It's five episodes have been released. The sixth and final episode will be released, I think, next week. So it's just kind of like a little fascinating mystery story. Like, what has happened? It
0: it sounds like it's finally one of these uh, public radio true crime podcasts that I could get into like I I mean man have I ever told you how much I hate true crime stuff I'm just oh wow man Well this <laughs> is not just, I was going to that.
2: say there, that's what I guess is interesting about it cuz like, there is no crime here like but and, but it's the same, also, it's the same
0: it's sort of like at, investigative thing going on yeah, and tracking yeah, a, and it a mysterious is. occurrence and yeah, yeah it's just
2: a mystery it's just like wow it's just weird and then Richard Simmons is like I mean I don't know it's just like a, he's obviously I don't think it would be wrong. Kind of weird. It's just like yeah. a weird, fascinating, like pop culture figure. You're just like, what? so, um, so if you like that, if you kind of like, you know, maybe a mystery without any. Um, so far, there's no violence and there's there's really just no uh, no true crime and no crime, but still the mystery. Uh, check it out.
0: The only crime is not being healthy. But <laughs> how about how about how about yourself, Matt? What do you got?
1: Uh. Uh well you know I, I'm I'm not uh, I haven't listened to a lot of podcasts lately so I've been trimming trimming down some of that but uh, uh, my first shout out though is uh, TripIt Pro and, um if you travel a lot uh, I've probably mentioned this before TripIt Pro is like I don't know fifty bucks a year or something like that and you know they they want to uh, consolidate like your loyalty programs and you know help you track that but they have a feature called Seat Tracker. And what it does is if you have a flight and you get kind of a, a janky seat, like, you know, it's not your first choice, uh, you put it in there that, hey, I want you to watch for seats to open up. And, um, you yeah. know, to me, it was worth the uh, the annual price of whatever it was, um, because I have like a nine and a half hour flight to Tokyo where I was in, you know, the middle of the middle uh, aisle, and now I have an exit row. You know, on the aisle, and so it's like hmm. so worthwhile. Um, and they also do uh, 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 like refund tracking. So if if uh, you know if the price of the ticket you bought goes down, you can you can call the airline and they'll give you your money back. I did that once and I saved like twenty bucks from Southwest. Really? But
0: that's interesting. You know, yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah, yeah, all these,
0: all these. So, all these business I feel like we just hacks. have to
2: pause here. This, this, is a great like SaaS lesson in like features. It's like I feel like if this was like uh, an open source company, they'd be like, "We're gonna charge you for like tracking all your uh, reward points and you know, and the ability to single sign into all the accounts." It's like, no, no one gives a shit about any of this. Now, what you really care about is like not sitting in the middle seat. Yeah, okay, I'll pay you fifty bucks for that. Like that's like great. I mean, like you know, you know, it doesn't take any like long slide or matrix. You're like, fuck. Do you want to sit in the middle of a nine hour flight, or do you want us to like quickly get you an aisle seat? You're like, aisle seat. Here's my fifty dollars. Done.
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah.
2: Good job. Good job, Tripit Pro product management. Well done.
0: That's that's <laughs> a that's a shit show matrix we can all agree to.
2: I, I think yeah. uh, they're owned by Concur, right? Which is yeah. in, no, in are, turn yeah, owned yeah, by yeah. SAP. Yeah. It all oh, goes back to so, SAP. So it all just ends. It all comes back to that.
0: Uh,
1: uh, all, all, all great companies are able to run SAP.
0: Now now pretty much every pretty much every week, uh, uh, Matt, you have like five different recommendations, and you only give us one. But I'm going to force you. What is this reading comprehension business you have?
1: Oh, you know, you you kind of you have the the various uh, uh, life hack you know links that you see here and there and. I got linked into one by this I guess he's a life hacker evangelist guy named James Clear. Um, and it was just about reading comprehension and you know how to read more and with you know it's not like speed reading but I was like oh, okay you know I I get this you know carving time out of your day starting your day with reading and I was like oh, okay that that will make sense but he had this link at the bottom of one of the things he does when he finishes a book is he writes a three sentence summary and he he shares the summary and so they're actually kind of, kind of cool. Cause I mean, there's, you know, as we're aware, like you could take Brandon's approach and just listen to the audiobook or, you know, if sometimes I'm like, I'm never going to read that book. If you could just sum it up in three sentences, that works pretty well.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: so he, uh, he's got, you know, a lot of popular business books and, and, you know, self-help books or whatever you call that, you know, lifestyle management, whatever, whatever the, the title is yours, But it's, it's, it's worth just skimming through because you're like, oh, okay, I got it. I don't need to go read it, you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah, I I like it. I was looking at some of the summaries. Where, where's the one I was going to read? I, I like I like how some of them are really long, it, but, uh, I mean, as, as, <laughs> as, as, in, as is appropriate for the book. But here's here's one that many listeners of the podcast will know. The goal. The book in three sentences. Doing work and making money are not the same thing. Simplify your problem to the point where you understand the true goal of your organization – with your goal in mind, identify the constraints within your system, i.e. bottlenecks, and focus on improving the output of that constraint without worrying about the productivity of all related processes. That, that's that's pretty good. No fat Boy Scouts or nothing. So there, uh, I'll have to check that out. Well, my recommendations this week, I, I have a few of them. First of all, to recommend another book. I think I finished reading this, but... Uh, there's this uh, there's this guy Mark Schwartz. I hope I'm saying his last name right. I don't have it in front of me to verify it, but he is the CIA of the uh, what is it? The USCIS, which is the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Uh, they're 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 as people like to joke. They're not the people who tell people to go away. They're the people who welcome people here. And in, in so much as that that will be happening still, but uh, he has this great book called The Art of Business Value, and it's one of the lesser known books from the uh, the Gene Kim operation, IT Revolution. And it's a great book. He uh, he does he does a lot of um, uh, uh, as as I was talking with my boss Andrew about this earlier today. It's it's pretty much the best. These are not the droids you're looking for. Response when it comes to figuring out ROI and business value to do DevOps and all these things, which is to say, he completely dismantles the idea that ROI is meaningful and. IRR and all these different ways of doing a business case. And he has a pretty good discussion as the name would imply about figuring out what business value is and therefore what motivates you to, uh, to do things in it. But it's a, it's, it's a good little book to check out and get in your, uh, your Kindle there. And while, uh, while, while your, your kids goofing off watching, uh, you know, uh, weird YouTube videos while you make dinner, you could, you could read it yourself. And then the only other two things, just briefly um, there's probably two or three of them left in the world. But uh, uh, I didn't really think about this, but I finally went and uploaded most all of the drunkenretired.com podcasts up to archive.org. I don't know mysteriously where episodes one to 32 are, but I got all the other ones and uh, I've uploaded them there. So I'll put a link to it. But if you go to archive.org slash details slash Drunken Retired, or you go to cote.io slash podcast, you can find a link to it. And as Matt Ray used to say, it's better than half the stuff out there. So uh, it, it was a fun little episode, and then finally, yeah, and
1: go ahead. I was gonna say that that that's a good application of some machine learning. You know, mm. you you can uh, run run some uh, audio transcription stuff on there, and then you know check back again in in nine months and see if it's gotten better, and oh. just you know keep. Oh, you know, see, yeah. that way. Uh, and of course, that then puts all your former podcast comments into the public record so maybe uh, you don't want that i think i think maybe if i were to do a
0: three-line <laughs> summary of the ouvoir if that's how you say it drunken retired it's sort of like uh, uh ruby is better than java charles builds a platform for five years cote stops being a programmer and 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 then poop if I get a fourth <laughs> sentence, but, and then, uh, so I, I, and then also, uh, Kim and I, my wife, uh, if we finished watching this new series, they have in Amazon, I guess it's unique to Amazon called, uh, Patriot. And, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's a very good name for the episode, cause it's not exactly what you would think, but man, that's a good series that, uh, that totally matches the tone of basically how I believe reality exists, except for the whole killing people part. But uh, it's just like the uh, the kind of n- nihilistic churning through duty is uh, is good. I'm I'm desperately searching for a sound clip of that guy just saying, "Pretty good." But uh, yeah, you should watch that. That's good stuff. So with is that, it, is, it,
1: is it done? Is it like yeah? yeah, yeah, that's, yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, like one season series. Like 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 all these. Uh, I think they'll have another one. I mean, they they set it up to have oh, okay. another one. I haven't seen any announcements nor pursued them. But yes, it's all released at the same time, so you can do your. Uh, you're binging or whatever. Well, with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode, episode 90, which uh, I guess that's supposed to be exciting, uh, at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 90. We'll we'll put our, our notes up there. If you want to subscribe to it, you can go there too. And there's a handy little subscribe button. I don't know if you use Stitcher or, or whatever else or iTunes or Overcast, but there's links for all that stuff. And you should really just go subscribe. It'll be automatically downloaded. You'll get them fresh like a uh, crispy baguette in the morning uh, on, on your mm-hmm. iPad. Also, it would be great, as I mentioned earlier, if you go leave us a review or a star rating or you put that star thing in Overcast or whatever. Or if you just write to us on Twitter or see it as a confer- at a conference, it's always encouraging. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.